Welcome to Love Your Local Larder, a podcast that celebrates local produce with the people who grow, cook and share it. I'm Susie Miller and I'm passionate about all the amazing ingredients we have here in Scotland and the UK. Here on Love Your Local Larder, I get together and chat with some of our incredible growers and producers, as well as the chefs and enthusiasts who showcase their products, sharing their inspiring stories and tasting their delicious food as we go. today are blackthorn sea salt i attempted to go and see them a few months ago but there was a snow blizzard uh, ridiculously and so i couldn't actually get there so instead we rearranged and we're doing this online for the first time blackthorn sea salt are set are in ayrshire um, and they make salt and i am very very keen to understand what that actually means um so i have an amazing testing thing happening today and i think you should really enjoy it and hopefully we'll be able to decipher the nuances of salt so hi Worley and Gregory thank you so much for coming along today um I know we've had a few technical issues what with snow and then microphone problems but hopefully we'll be able to get this get this going um you guys run Blackthorn Salt and you're based down in Ayrshire yeah that's right yes and when how long have you had the company for um, well, firstly, Steve, thank you very much for having us on. Um, Pleasure. And it's great to sort of finally meet you properly um, after our few hiccups. But uh, so we launched Blackthorn uh, at the beginning of lockdown. Basically, I think our launch party, as it were, was going to be, I think, the day lockdown was actually announced. So we cancelled it pretty much the week before, I think. So it was um, different and how we expected. Um, but I think we didn't know any better. We didn't know what, what it should have been otherwise. So we just sort of cracked on and, and got going as best we could. I think it was uh, we were very conscious at the time of, of what was happening elsewhere and therefore really didn't feel like sort of pushing it to anyone and ended up actually giving away the first, um, the first batch to, um, yeah, I suppose, people who would use it or want it or put a smile on people's faces. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting times. Yeah, I can imagine that that was really, really difficult because we'd launched maybe two, we'd be already going for about two years by the time COVID came along. So to be starting at that stage, I just can't even, because you wouldn't have had any, been able to get any retail contacts, you wouldn't have been able to do any ta- uh, tasting sessions or sort of any of the traditional ways that you you go about setting up a food business, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, nothing. So it was a slower start than anticipated, but... Yeah. You know, you can just, I think um, there are a lot more people in a lot worse situation than we were in. So, um, you know, we were just sort of carrying on going and um, trying as best we could without um, trying to annoy anyone. I think that was our (laughs) chief thing. But I I mean, it had taken us uh, probably taken about 20 years to get to that spot anyways, um, (laughs) of thinking about it uh, and I think I first started thinking about making salt in Scotland again probably 20 yeah, well, it was maybe 20 odd years ago now and uh, and then over the years of just sort of um been looking at uh, various different ways that it's produced and been lucky enough to go and see lots of places around the world um and came across a 
way of producing it in Japan, actually, um, where they trickle it down bamboo. And then uh, started doing a bit more research and then came across um, graduation towns in Poland and Germany, uh, which they used to use um, and produce, uh, I suppose, salt from rock brine from underground. Um, but sadly, they stopped producing about um, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Um, and uh, so then it was a matter of sort of trying to work out how to do it from there because there was no one alive who understood how they worked. Um, I mean, they still do trickle water down, but no one's interested in what that actually is trying to do and how they're trying to increase um, the surface area to gain the evaporation in order to increase the brine concentration. Um, it's getting very technical now, isn't it? <laughs> like, you know, I, I think this is, this is perfect because I feel like I have absolutely no idea how salt is made. I don't even... I, I like. I just assume that it gets, uh, it's from the sea <laughs> and it comes, I don't know, maybe they just collect it I've got, or there's salt mines, maybe we're, I have no idea. So how does it work? assumption. Yeah. So well, there, are, there, are, there are three main types of salt that you can, you can get. So, uh, so you have um, the very fine salt, I suppose it's like, it's piece of pure dry vacuum salt, what you probably know as Saxa salt. Yep. Um, and that is uh, produced by pumping uh, water into an underground cavern, which is full of salt, uh, like it from you know hundreds of thousands of years ago. Uh, Seawater, and basically, then that is uh, pumped up uh, into vacuums and produced in a very sort of industrial, energy cons- sort of rich um, product. Um, and intensive process. Yeah, it's very intensive. But that's where you end up with a very sort of small, tiny little ball bearings, ultimately. Uh, And then you have, um, I suppose, rock salt, which is hundreds of thousands of years old sea salt that has basically been covered with rocks. And I think you have a sample of some pink Himalayan salt in front of you. Um, And uh, that is, uh, uh, I suppose, actually the pinkness in that is, is from the iron content or as I like to say, the rust in the salt is what makes it makes it pink. Um, so uh, and salts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm doing a good sales pitch so far. Aren't I? Uh, and then you have sea salt. Um, so the traditional way to make uh, sea salt is probably I don't know if you've ever been to the Mediterranean or somewhere on the coast and somewhere nice and hot and sunny where they move the basically seawater from. Uh, I suppose area to area, and then it gets more and more concentrated until the, in, in the last area where the um, salt will start to form, and uh, they'll evaporate all the water off, and then they'll go and harvest it, um, similar as you would anything with a tractor and a trailer and a you know a big sort of harvesting machine. It's nothing uh, too fancy or anything like that. Um, and it's but, spread out on fields in order to solar evaporate. It uses the sun to evaporate the sea. So and um, obviously they can do that there because it's sunny. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So so okay. So in Scotland we don't have sun and we don't have any rock salt. We do have some sun. It's nice and sunny. Okay, a little bit of sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, so that must mean that then that's why we really don't see Scottish salt very often then. Yeah. Well, you used to have Scottish. You used to have lots of Scottish salt um, in uh, which was basically near a coal mine 
and uh, they would take the sort of the rubbish coal that no one wanted and they would burn it up and evaporate the seawater. So as long as it was near, near coal and near the coast, then they would uh, just bubble up seawater. It was a very sort of intense um, process, but also um, they ended up being quite um, black and sooty and things because of the... Um, the coal that was used uh, and in fact they used to try and uh, clean it up by using egg white or ox blood to try and coagulate the rubbish that was formed to then scrape that off uh, and make the salt a bit cleaner oh wow wow oh my goodness. But, but they sort of stopped um they generally a lot of them started to close down when the tax um well in fact, Worley will explain it better. She's much better at the history side of it before I start making a fool of myself. <laughs> so why did they close down all the salt mines then, Worley? Um, but they, they weren't mines. They're kind of evaporation places. They, they, they ran out of business mainly because they were priced out because uh, it became... Scottish salt was very expensive to, to do because you needed coal. And uh, you, it was doing really well because at the Union of the Crowns, the Scottish lairds managed to convince the English guys that English English salt ought to be taxed and Scottish salt was provided tax-free. So Scottish salt did really well, hit a boom, there were the wars with France and everything did really well. And then the tax got brought back in, the English kind of smelled a rat and pulled the tax in in the 1820s, I think it was. And then slowly after that, each of the Scottish salt producers started closing. Um, the last ones closed actually, I think, in Joppa, and that was in the 1950s. But before then, in Ayrshire, it was the 1870s, they closed wow. the salt pans. And um, there was also quite a lot in Fife as well, and along the fourth. So no, it used to be really big because ultimately, to survive, you needed to salt your produce through winter. And it was, you know, the yeah. Scotland's refrigerator was, was salt. So they were much more interested in making as much as possible, as fast as possible kind of the opposite to what we're interested in today yeah so you're trying to be much more sustainable with it now um and higher quality and higher quality yeah yeah okay so this we've kind of got i've got so many questions so information <laughs> um, overload <laughs> no it's great so 20 years ago then what was it that made you think about how how you would go about making um salt and, and i know it then took you further what would that be 17 years to to make it a reality but why were you interested in salt in the beginning? Um, so the the family business is um, a Peacock's uh, or JC Peacock, which is basically the largest importer and distributor of salt in the in the UK. But only it doesn't manufacture any salt; it just um, literally brings it in and sells it, and it's more of an industrial scale. And uh, I sort of joined the family business at, at that stage 20, about 20 years ago might even be exactly 20 years about 20 years ago and um and then i started thinking about i suppose you know what could we do in scotland that would actually sort of make our own salt and i you know i i suppose love cooking and enjoy food and so therefore you know the logical thing is to start uh, doing it ourselves and having you know good quality salt on our background rather than trying to buy it in um, and so then just started looking and I, and I think probably the reason we ended up where we are is is before I joined the family business I was an architect so therefore you sort of combine the the, the three loves excluding my family obviously of uh, <laughs> food and salt and architecture then you end up with 
something that looks a bit ridiculous, like a graduation tower. So that's what I was going to ask you about was this graduation tower because that's what when we were I was coming down to Ayrshire, Heather was like, "You've got to see the graduation tower." And actually, I stopped in at Mosgiel because oh, yeah. I interviewed them the day before. I was supposed to interview you guys, and um, he was like, "Oh yeah, you wouldn't believe this tower that they've got." And I had no, I had no idea about it. Um, so the graduation tower, how tall is it? Uh, it is eight meters high, so which is uh, two double decker buses probably on top of each other. Give you enough idea. And what does it do? What's its purpose? Um, to well, I suppose its sole purpose is to increase the rate of evaporation. So, if you think you, know, you probably when you were maybe seven, eight, nine, ten in sort of science class, uh, and I remember I think I was seven. I remember leaving a glass full of water. Uh, at the side and the teacher saying look let's put a line on it now and when we come back after the weekend we'll come and see how much has evaporated and it's yeah, it's, it's it's as simple as that that's all we're trying to do is is to make that evaporation process happen as quickly as possible so in order to do that we need to stretch the water out as much as possible and make the surface area as big as possible so that more air passes through and more evaporation happens. And I think it's kind of always liken it to doing your washing. You don't take it out of a washing machine and scrunch it up into a ball and stick it on top of a wall. Um, you you stretch it out as much as possible, and the more you stretch it out, the quicker it dries. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. How do you actually collect the seawater then? So we actually get the seawater from Troon. Um, in in a in a tanker, and then we just pump it up to the top of the tower, and we keep on circulating it round till we get to the right percentage. Um, it starts at about seawater is about three and a half percent, and we're trying to get up to twenty two percent. And if you, uh, I suppose, if you think about it, to get from it's a bit like a sort of reverse concentrate. You know, we're trying to we start with a full yeah. grass, and we're trying to get down to that concentrate at the bottom. And yeah. if you think, if we go from, for example, if on a good day we could go from 3.5% to 7%, that means we've evaporated half the water in one yeah. one full going down. But uh, it's not that quicker process. Yeah. It's, I mean, if, you know, we it probably runs at around about 1,000 litres an hour, but that really depends on the weather. Okay. So how long so how long from collection to production how long does it take you um twice half its length <laughs> <laughs> so you just don't know just don't we just don't know uh it no. is um, weather dependent it's weather dependent so on a nice beautiful sunny day and with a with a nice breeze and we'll get some good evaporation yeah. but on an overcast day with a bit of drizzle you know, we won't get anything so it really depends on the weather and it depends on you know the relative humidity uh, and what's happening in the surrounding area so it's it's very difficult to tell until so we once we get it up to about 22 percent then we take it off into a pan and in the in the pan we know that that will take roughly about five days to to produce but and the pan is being heated the pan's being heated yeah so so for the final bit of the process we heat the pan up just to uh, that's where we form the crystals um because 
we don't have enough children to scrape all the crystals <laughs> off the branches on the blackthorn. But the pan bit could take a few hours if we wanted it to. But we just want to make crystals in a, way, a particular way with the right minerals so we take a lot longer over it. Yeah, so you don't have any degradation or anything like that by overheating. Would it? Would it, if you would if you overheated it, would it cause problems? I'm just thinking. Honey. No, I think most most salt crystals are made. If you make them in the UK and you don't do it, you know, the way they do in France or Spain, if you if you're doing it in a plug-in pan, most of the, I don't know because it's all very secretive, but they do it quickly. You know, it's all bubbled and boiled. So, so sorry, one thing that you just said there that just stuck in my mind was, you don't have enough children to scrape it off of the blackthorn. So, <laughs> What what do you mean? What did you? So if we left it on the tower, yeah. After uh, in order oh, to the crystallize, oh, the is the name of the tower. Yeah. So the tower, the tower is stacked full. What Gregor was talking about, how it, it it's there to increase the surface area. Yeah. As the water trickles down from the top, it trickles round and through the tower, and the tower is stacked with blackthorn brushes. Oh, so, so blackthorn, is... yeah, yeah, yeah blackthorn, as bit. in the shrub. Wow. It's, it's, um. So the, the blackthorns are, haven't changed since dinosaur times and they've got the longest spines that you can get in this country. And they're called spines, the thorns. They're really bad. They can be up six inches. And you can imagine if something was trickling down a bamboo, its surface area would be the circumference of the bamboo yep. times the length. But if it's trickling down blackthorn, it's got the trunk of the blackthorn, but it's also got every single thorn and every single sharp bit to go round. So your surface area of your dro- droplets... Yeah. is then massive in the same way that it would be if you spread it out on, on a field like you would in France. And then does it add flavour to it? Good question. Yes, it does. It does. It, it, um, we didn't know that it did, but it does. <laughs> it adds a little, but very, very discreet. It adds a little bit of tannins, which um, is fantastic from our point of view because it brings out the kind of earthy umami, um, savoury aspects in, in food, which most salts don't because they don't have you know you don't add tannins to salt but it's just a kind of natural part of the, the bark that gets rinsed off as, as the seawater trickles down it Fantastic. um and actually how so do you where do you collect the blackthorn from then well we um we put out an advert uh in the <laughs> scottish farmer to try and find lots of blackthorn and although people complain about blackthorn they don't actually have that much um and if it is it's very inaccessible and only one farm got back to us actually so we do have a bit from scotland but we ended up having to import it uh from poland but um we think that um it'll need to be replaced every seven to ten years we don't really know because it's never been done before with seawater so um there's no one there to tell us or to work out from so we have planted uh, a field uh, of about 18 acres oh, fantastic. of blackthorn so that we can then use that going forward oh my goodness so okay so in summary <laughs> is so far that because this, this honestly i'm absolutely fascinated by this i knew nothing about any of this stuff before mm-hmm. so it's, it's so great to know this um so the water comes you get the water from the sea you take it to the tower you pour it into the top of this tower and it trickles down through blackthorn making the surface area of the water much bigger Therefore, you can get a higher amount of evaporation happening so that you increase the concentration of the salt within the water. That's and it. At which stage it gets taken to, once you get to 22%, you take it to your, uh, I don't know, factory or wherever you are, like, and you put it into pan. Pan. Uh-huh. And then uh, that you warm that for about five days-ish. 
and then that forms crystals in a certain way um, and that's your salt made. I think you've nailed it. Yeah, yeah I don't know why we bothered with I the early part. <laughs> no, it's been... Do you want another career? <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Because, and what's the, what are the, so obviously salt gets such a bad name um, and I think I'm from a chiropractic background, so very much a health background. And um, we were always taught salt. There's nothing wrong with salt. Actually, it's a really, really great thing to add into your diet. What's bad is when it's been stripped of all of its nutrients, which would be the same as anything. Yeah. So like any kind of food product that's been has had everything stripped out of it will become an ultra processed food and and therefore not good for for your body. Um, but these this type of salt that that really hasn't had anything in fact it's still got all of its beneficial minerals and whatnot in it what 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 other health benefits does it have so i think in terms of kind of nutritional benefits we couldn't we can't make any nutritional claims and say you will feel better if you have this yeah um but it is kind of logical it has about six times more magnesium potassium calcium um than other salts and we've got kind of people on our, our customers who kind of send messages back in. I'm a marathon runner. I make my own, um, what do you call them, rehydration pack. And I add a spoonful of your salt and a dollop of this and a bit of this. And I shake it up and it's like the world's best re-energizing. Because salt, your, your brain needs it and your nerves need salt. People would die without salt. Um, I think the problem in the misnomer is um, in processed foods, high salt is often accompanied by high other things and sugars and other things as well. Yeah. And carbohydrates, from what I can gather, if you have a lot of carbohydrate in your diet, your kidneys don't excrete salt in the way that they do if you have less carbohydrate in your diet. So if you're on one of those keto diets, is that the right one? I'm not very good at um, then they have to actively add salt because their kidneys are constantly secreting it. Yeah. Um, so it, it just depends on your diet. It's, it's not really um, a good thing or a bad thing. In our in our what we do know in terms of nutritional claims, I suppose, if, if salt is bad for you, we hope that we make kind of a, an exceptional, exquisitely brilliantly tasting salt. Um, and we know it works. You know, lots of wonderful people are so kind and choose it and give it awards and things. Then the idea is that you use less of it. It works really well to bring out the flavor of your food. So don't use lots, you know, make your food taste wonderful, add it by hand so you know what you're adding and um, and just use enough to make the food shine, not to make it taste salty. Yeah. And then, you know, you're monitoring yourself. It's totally good for you and fine. But, um, yeah, because I mean, salt, adding salt into food, really, the, the purpose is supposed to be that it actually draws out other flavours. Not yes. that it makes it then taste salty. It's supposed to enhance and dry all the other flavours around it. By yeah, I think in Scotland we're quite bad at, try, at kind of thinking food should taste salty rather than actually it should just taste stronger of itself. So, rather than, yeah. That's so funny. So the thing about those minerals I was talking about, calcium is, is brilliant for the sweetness and um, uh, potassium and magnesium are really good, uh, kind of sour and bitter, and they pull out the different aspects in your food. And then, like I said, the blackthorn tannins pull out kind of the savory aspects. Mm. So in blackthorn, you should be able to detect, and we'll, we can talk about it when we do the tasting, but you should be able to taste your food better. It should taste sweeter, more savory, more sour, more bitter, more salty. It should taste all of these and make your food really shine rather than it just tasting kind of stingy salt. Oh, that's amazing. 
Um, I was just thinking when you said that a second ago that when we were at university, we were in halls of residence and um, we used to say pass the taste or pass the salt in Scotland. Oh, that's excellent. We, we borrow it. Yeah, <laughs> quite used to uh, adding salt to our food to try to make it taste better. Um, <laughs> but I think that was probably to make it taste saltier rather than have more flavour come through. Um so, okay, great. Should we do some of this testing then? Because it looks amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So what we normally um, ask people to do is if you just take a wee bit of a tomato on its own and yep. taste it. So now you've established your kind of your base taste. And depending on the quality of tomato, you know, it's tomato-y. Yep, it's tomato-y. <laughs> I've got the tomato taste. <laughs> And then you get your fine, your fine PDB table pouring salt. So this is the table, which is salt in the one. little one. Yep. Table salt. I don't know what. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so you just put be, what you'd normally put on. And this would be an example. So what we're going to do here is try table salt, Himalayan fine salt, and then your salt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So you just put the same bit. amount as you'd normally put on. Maybe a little bit more, so you kind of really get the okay. effect of what it is. And then taste and, that. And taste that. It just tastes like salted tomatoes, actually. Salted tomatoes, a bit of a saline kind of tang. Yeah. like Salty I, kick. I would just say it tastes like I've added salt to tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's rocket science, isn't it? It doesn't enhance the flavour. And it's quite a quick taste. It's quite yeah. a short experience. Yeah, only lasted and, um, really, really, like, lasted maybe... The saltiness maybe lasted like three or four seconds, something like that. Yeah, and then you might want to put more on, as it were. Yeah. But the um, and it's it's one it's one effect, a salty kind of effect. That's because sax um, table pouring salt is ninety nine point eight percent pure, ninety nine point nine percent pure. That's the one that Gregory was talking about. That's industrially kind of intensively made by pumping water into salt caves and sucking it up and whizzing it round until it evaporates. So what do you mean it's 99.9% pure? So it's sodium chloride, 99.9. Oh, so 0.1% so of it is something else. How interesting. Okay, so it is pure. So it's only, only one taste reaction is happening. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So if you get your pink Himalayan yep. and do the same, do a kind of generous sprinkle of pink Himalayan everyone knows their pink Himalayan it's like the first go-to gourmet salt because you know you can see it's different you know you're having something different this is exciting so with this one mm -hmm. so the salt is lingering for I can still really very much feel the salt on my tongue um and I would say that the tomatoes felt way more tomatoey than the beans mm -hmm. too Kind um, of strong and a bit sweeter, flavor. a bit more Still complex. Salt now. So what's that going on? Like 20, 30 seconds nearly. Mm -hmm. I can still feel the salt. I can still taste the salt very much. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. That's completely different. It's much stronger. Pink Himalayan is much stronger than you think. Yeah. So if you so, apply the same amount, you'll over salt, I think, personally. But that's my yeah. taste. But I mean, we all have different taste buds. So yeah. you should probably have a little bit less because it's got more minerals going on so it's doing more stuff to your tomatoes. Even then there aren't that many more minerals. The Himalayan salt is still it's pretty close to 99 percent 
98.9, so, 98.8. So it's a rock salt. It's um, ancient squashed squashed sea in the Himalayas. It's been squashed down and it has iron in it. So it's basically, what you're basically saying is there's about 1% more mineral minerals in this because yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and with hopefully as you'll see with with minerals it's you know all these percentages in the late 90s sound pretty high you know if you talk about exam results they're all a stars yeah but um with minerals you only need a tiny bit to change the flavor yeah. profile it's like it, quite often say it's like having a, a massive mug of tea you add a tiny bit of cough a uh, tiny bit of milk or a tiny bit of sugar or a bit of honey and you're totally changing the experience for the person tasting it. Yeah. So hopefully you'll find when you taste the last one, which is blackthorn, um, you shouldn't need too much. You know, one one squished flake on your tomato should be enough, or two, depending on how fine they are. <laughs> All right, two seconds. So you think I just need two little flakes? What I would say as well, just for the or even one, one your, your flakes. The flakes are huge. I've gone from doing like absolutely minute table salt slightly thicker crystals for the himalayan but these are like 20 times the size maybe even more than that. yeah that's because i guess that's that's because well it's a sea salt and it's a flake so it's made on the surface of the liquid ah. so as it evaporates the tiny cube type thing grows and then as it evaporates that sinks a wee bit and as it sinks it turns into a pyramid so it becomes a flake salt and you should ideally be able to squish it. It should be squishable in your fingers so you can really decide how big you want your flakes to be. So people who are putting it on steak might want a less squish than if you're putting it throughout a salad, you want a finer squish. Okay, great. So it's very scientific. No, I love so yeah, that. if you pop okay, some so pop a wee bit on your tomato. Yep, okay, let's go back. So tomatoey. got the umami taste coming through a little bit oh that's amazing because only i some people notice it and some people you know i, I don't know if i notice it I'm, i know it's there because i've been told by nutritionists yeah, and chefs yeah, that they can taste it but, there, but i, can but I like think it, the idea is it's a more complete a complete taste a complete ra- rounded so this is so this is so interesting because the last one was uh, the Himalayan pink salt, really, really salty. Lasted for quite a, like the salt taste lasted for a long time, um, whereas like the first one lasted for like two seconds. This one, I don't actually. It's more tomatoes that I'm tasting. Your tomato salt, and you should taste it like now. You can still taste. I can still taste tomato in I my can mouth. Still taste tomato in my mouth, whereas the other yeah. two. Oh well, first one the taste really didn't last that long for either. Uh, and then the second one was very much the salt that lingered on for a long period of time and this is more the tomatoes like the tomato a juicy tomato yeah Yeah, i can really really taste so that is such a big difference is that what you're looking for me to taste that that sort of progression yeah well we all have our own taste buds no no no. we all have our own taste buds so it's it's it only really makes sense if you do it yourself yeah really but yes that's you what you've describe to me is what I experience and what most people I talk to experience yeah, um, some people you know Koreans when they taste it find it our salt is very mild and they just kind of take whole chunks of it yeah because they have a very salty diet yeah of course. um 
and some people find it's really sweet. Some people who love Maldens, which is a very sweet salt because it's got high in calcium, but not the other minerals, find it's not as sweet because the so it just totally depends what what you're used to. And but what matters to us is really what it does to the tomato. You know, it's we don't really want a salt with an ego. We want the tomato to have that ego and to taste, you know, delicious. Which I mean, it really does. And what's the what's the percentage of that then? That's more. It's about ninety four percent. Wow. Sodium chloride. Yeah, it's about five six times more minerals than most um, most salts. The artisan sea salts will be maybe ninety six ninety eight generally. Uh, depends. So, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was the sort of sustainability part of the business. Because the tower itself uses low energy, yeah? Yes. So do you use, like, uh, so, how, do you, how do you power yeah. it? So the tower, ultimately, the evaporation is done by the natural um, environment. Uh, so it's done by the wind and the sun that we have. Uh, the only sort of power we need for the tower is, is a pump to pump the brine up to the top of the tower. So 90% of the evaporation is done in the tower. It's only the last part um, that we need to use the energy to form the crystals. Um, and I think, you know, sustainability for us has, has been key from the beginning, uh, even down to our sort of packaging and trying uh, to find a package that worked for salt and so trying not to not to use any, any plastic. So... Yeah. It took us over a year to design the box that we now have to put the salt in. So um, I was just going to say, the, the box that you have is amazing because it's got a sort of like two layers to it, doesn't it? So as soon as you open it, the salt is still contained within the box that's inside it, which is great. It, I think the idea is also so that you could, you know, we wanted it so it's easy to use. It didn't have any plastic. So you can open it with one hand, take a pinch out and then close it again cook and cook with it, you know. So um, it was... It, it just, it, I suppose, for something that is so simple, it just took a long time and a lot of different um, trials and errors to You'll try and get You'll know yourself. Oh, I remember going into Tesco's uh, when we were sort of in the beginning stages of all the design stuff of each product. This is like five or six years ago. And I remember going into Tesco's or Waitrose, I can't remember, and looking at one of their um, like billboards that they have on the wall that said, you know, some, some information about them. I'm thinking to myself, that must have taken them like four years to develop, to develop that one picture because I was thinking about the amount of time that has taken us to do each individual iteration of every single mm. bit of the design work. I mean, it's it's crazy how long it takes to yeah. to get a product to market. Mm. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, no, you have to love it. I think. Yes. If it's if it's a, a new little small brand doing something slightly different, you have to absolutely love it. It can't. Yeah, you have to be passionate about it, don't you? Because mm. otherwise, you just um, you'd run out yeah, of steam. Yeah, you're waiting too soon. in the morning, trying to work <laughs> out which color or font you should use. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so whereabouts can everybody buy your salt? Um, well, we are uh, available. We don't have a shop on site. We just make it and we supply it to farm shops and delis. We supply it to Michelin restaurants we supply it to cafes that really care about their food so lots of farm shops and delis um some big department stores like selfridges or um, Benix. um 
and some gift shops um, and we are trying to grow our international market because people seem to um, be interested in British and particularly Scottish food abroad yeah. which is really nice um, but yes yeah, so we're quite we're quite small though you know it's it's very it's a high end it's, it takes us a long time so it's relatively expensive so it, it's really for people who really care about their flavors yeah do you have your website oh yes we do we sell it on our website too Sorry. Okay. Um, so what's next for you guys? Where 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 are you going to go with this next? Good question. Um, <laughs> I think you know, for us, it's I suppose like the salt. It takes a long time to 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 make and to produce, and and it is just about growing, uh, but nothing rapidly you know it's yeah. building the brand it's uh, making sure that we stick true to our principles and tricks through to the sort of sustainability side of it and and if things take a bit longer then they take a bit longer um but it's just building it and slowly but surely being in the right place great love it oh well i honestly i feel like my eyes have been completely opened to the world of salt um i had no idea how to make it <laughs> no idea what things should taste like with it um and thank you thanks so much it's been absolutely fascinating thanks so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it not at all no thank, thank you very you much for having us no yeah it's been great thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, then please share with your friends and family, shout about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.